Well, good morning, everyone. I hope, I hope you enjoyed that little video. It, it, it is a pretty catchy little tune, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if it would be still catchy after five hours or not, but, uh, but it certainly is a little catchy, and I imagine if, if I'm typical, some of you are going to be singing that song later in the day because it is now stuck in your head. Uh, we're continuing in our, our series of the Psalms of Summer, and uh, Brody, can you just go to the next slide for me, please? Um, here's the thing that you, uh, you probably caught if you were paying attention, though. Everything isn't awesome. Beyond the, the overpriced coffee and uh, the, the mundane things like taking in your dry cleaning, there's kind of something vaguely dystopian about that whole Lego thing there with like the Big Brother camera watching everyone and just everybody like doing things in lockstep. Um, I won't spoil the rest of the movie for you if you haven't seen it, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is that not everything actually is awesome, and I think that's kind of the point they were trying to make too. We use the word awesome to, to pretty much describe like anything that we happen to think is remarkable, even in the slightest. A funny meme, your favorite sports team winning, or, or in the case of the riders, the other team losing— I don't know if, I guess they won. Uh, You get the point, right? New restaurant turns out to be surprisingly good. You say, oh, that is so awesome. It was such an awesome place. But but, but the thing is, if, if everything is awesome, then nothing is awesome because we've just flattened the term right out so that there, it has no meaning. If everything is awesome, nothing gets to be awesome anymore. And the word, the word, of course, means something that, that fills you with awe. Most definitions of the word say something along the lines of right, a feeling of, of wonder mixed with fear. Something like that. That's the sense of awe. And you've probably sensed that in, in nature from time to time, right? Maybe you have uh, stood looking out at this beautiful mountain view and you felt that sense of awe rising up within you. Or you've stood out on one of the grid roads around town as a summer thunderstorm has come rolling in. And you, you have that sense that this is, this is incredible. Maybe standing on the ocean, if some of you uh, have lived on a place where, where you're close to the ocean and you see the, the waves come breaking on the beach in, in a storm maybe. It's awesome. But the truly appropriate application of the word awesome is not even those kind of experiences. The truly appropriate sense of what is awesome is the Lord and what he's done. And today's psalm connects the description of awesome to God, specifically in the context of his deeds toward humanity. So we're going to read the scripture today responsively. If you want to stand, as is our usual practice, for reading our scripture together, we'll read from Psalm 66. It'll be up on the screen. I will, uh, I will read the parts designated for the leader that are printed in white, and you can follow along uh, in the the yellow printing. And I'm just going to kind of come out and join all of you, and we will all read it together. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worships you. Sing 
come and see what God has done. He turned the sea into dry land. There did we rejoice in him. Whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Bless our God, O peoples. Who has kept our soul among the living. For you, O God, have tested us. You brought us into the net. You let men ride over our heads. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. That which my lips uttered, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. I cried to him with my mouth. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, but truly God has listened. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is God's word. You may have a seat. The first verse of this psalm instructs us to do one thing. Praise God. Sing praises to him. Worship him. Shout for joy. I've been saying this rather frequently in our series on the Psalms. The Psalms, the the prayers of Israel, instruct us to praise the Lord wholeheartedly. This isn't just a head trip where we get information about God. This is about engaging with Him, praising Him, worshiping Him from the depths of our being and our emotions and of all we are, with excitement overflowing. I know we don't all have the same tendencies in worship. Some of us, we like orderly worship that proceeds kind of in in certain fashions after a certain pattern. Uh, Some churches call that liturgical. Whether you call it liturgical or not, we do have liturgies of ways that we do things. Set orders, responsive things like we just did. Other people like worship that's really uh, emphasizing teaching, where there's uh, instruction from the Bible, takes center stage in worship. And still there are other people that really like wholehearted worship with excited singing and praising and lots of movement and that sort of thing. Now that's probably not the majority here at CCC, but that's okay. What isn't okay is for us to reject worship that is eager and excited and passionate because that's not what we like. The Bible is full of that kind of worship. Here's the thing. I gave it away just a minute ago, but the Rough Riders. I would say that Saskatchewan people are, on the whole, pretty chill, pretty laid back for the most part. We're not so tightly wound up as people from New York or Toronto. We're not usually as emotive as 
you know, folks from Latin America or Africa, but get us all together in Mosaic Stadium and something changes. All these mild-mannered Saskatchewan farmers, they get pretty worked up about their Rough Riders, right? It's like we save it up for just a few occasions of Rough Riders home games per year. Everyone is wearing green or is painted green. Who's ever painted themselves green for a Rough Riders football game? Anybody? Am I the, okay, yeah, I'm not the only one. That stuff is hard to get off, and car washes don't like it when you borrow their pressure washers. Um, who's worn a watermelon on their head at some points? Thank you, Rob. Uh, right, you go there. Everybody is screaming and booing and cheering. They're, you're high-fiving and taking selfies with people you've never met before. A man in a gopher costume encourages like 30,000 people to chant and a guy in a gopher suit. What? It's really quite amazing when you think about what actually goes on. And what for? A bunch of large men in tight pants to throw around an egg-shaped ball and sometimes catch it for 60 minutes of play. A lot of overpriced hot dogs to say nothing of what they charge for beverages. And depending on the time of year, you either broil to death at least at the old stadium especially, or it's frostbite time. And yet we put up with it. We pay all this money, we go and sit in our seats, and we cheer for the Rough Riders, win or lose. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because I think this unnamed psalmist is describing heartfelt praise that looks a lot more like cheering for the Rough Riders than it does just sitting around with long faces listening to something happen. There is a lot that we can be really excited about. Even just think of your typical everyday blessings. Did you wake up this morning having slept in a bed? Yeah, probably. Did you sleep through the night without threats of bombs or missiles blowing up your house? Did you benefit from hot and cold running water this morning at some point? Did you have food? Was your food in a refrigerator? Did you drive here? Is it likely that terrorists are going to burst into our worship gathering and shoot us all? Not, not terribly likely. We who are living here in this time and place are more blessed than most people living on earth or who have lived on earth. And yet this isn't really what God is talking about as awesome, as incredible, as amazing as it is. So let's look at what actually is Awesome, according to God's word. God made a people for himself. That's awesome. Verses 5 to 12 focus on what God has done for his people. We have allusions to Israel's oppression. It's not overtly specific as to what it's talking about, but the prototype of the crushing burden being laid on our backs in the Old Testament is always we were slaves in Egypt. That's always what Israel goes back on as to where their identity comes from. They were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them. And the mentions of passing through the water. There we have the allusions to the exodus out of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. And then on the other end of that, it can be an allusion to the parting of the Jordan River and Israel going through on dry land to enter enter the promised land. 
So let's be clear. The miracles surrounding the Exodus, whether we think of the frogs or the locusts or the hail or the death of the firstborn or the parting of the Red Sea, the manna, whatever, those were amazing and incredible, but really not awesome in and of themselves. And the miracles of the conquest, same there. If we think of the parting of the Jordan River and the the miraculous fall of Jericho and the sun standing still in the sky, amazing, incredible. But that's not the awesome thing that the psalmist is all about. He's about what those things were achieving, what they represent. The awesome thing was God creating a people for himself. God calling these people to be his, to be his, his representatives on earth who would know and receive and follow his instructions and ultimately through whom his blessings would come to all humanity. That's awesome. I so love that we have allusions not just to the exodus but also to the conquest because in between, what happens in between the exodus out of Egypt and entry into the promised land? Forty years of Israel not getting it right, disobeying and sinning against God. God's calling and creating a people for himself was bigger than their sin, their failure, and even their outright rebellion against him. God was faithful to his covenant people, faithful to his covenant with them, even when they were not, even when they lacked faith in his promise. That is awesome. That promise, I'll be your God and you'll be my people, that runs through the whole Old Testament. All this stuff that, that Israel's, the psalmists and the prophets continually look back on. They look back on the Exodus. They look back on God's deliverance of when he made them a people. And all the things that we might read that seem so boring to us in Exodus and Leviticus about the, the dimensions of the tabernacle and the make the purple yarn for this and the loops that go on there and the poles that go in and, and all the sacrifices and all of this. We think it's boring, but that's God marking out Israel as his people. All those kings with the weird-sounding names and the genealogies that we can't keep track of, that's part of the story of God making his people too and evaluating how these leaders led his nation. And usually... Sadly, it's he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He led Israel to sin. And yet, they can still praise God because he was faithful to them in spite of all that. And he delivered them and continued to deliver them as this psalm celebrates. That's the whole point of it all. God making and continuing to make a people for himself. That's the story. God promising on on oath to Abraham, confirming that promise and continuing it in the patriarchs, bringing that promise to fulfillment in the exodus and the conquest, not giving up on that promise in the time of the judges, bringing it to a high point in King David and still not giving up on it in all the bad kings that followed. God not giving up on that promise even when he had to send his people into exile in Babylon. This is something to sing praise to God, as the psalm calls us to, because it is awesome. That's what he instructs us to celebrate and worship. Because it's for us, too. As the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament in Romans, we have been grafted in to what God was doing in making a people, even though we are not 
Israelites. We've been grafted in. And as we're going to look at in just a couple weeks in our series on Ephesians, we're no longer aliens or foreigners, but we're made members of God's family. Is that not more exciting than a man kicking a ball between two upright sticks? Thank you, Peter. But there's more that's awesome in this psalm. God hears our prayers. After taking a look at God's mighty deeds in Israel's history, he goes in the opposite direction. He looks at the huge picture, and then he looks at his, at his own life. In verses 18 to 20 at the end there. And he sees something awesome going on in his own situation. So awesome that he spends verses 16 and 17 hyping it up. Gather around, children. Come and listen. I've got something awesome to tell you. Something that God did for me. Here's what it is. The Lord hears and answers prayer. Full stop. That is huge. Some of you are maybe sitting there thinking, Oh, there he goes. He's going to lecture us about not praying enough. Well, you're partly right. You don't pray enough. I don't pray enough. And our North American Christian culture probably doesn't pray enough, aside from a few very dedicated people. But I'm not going to lecture you about it. Because I'm, I'm not convinced that we'll really overcome our lack of prayer and our enthusiasm for it as individuals, as a congregation, as a church in this land, until we're convinced that the Lord hearing and answering our prayers is truly awesome. Here's a thought. Have you ever reached out to someone famous or or important and actually received a reply back from them? So a few years ago, Uh, You might remember we did a a Christmas production here on campus and we designed and built a pretty sizable church exterior set. I based the design on an actual church in London. It was actually John Stott's old church. And I decided just for kicks, since I thought we did a pretty good job on the the set there, our our campus operations guys building it and getting it up there, and it, it was pretty tall. It was pretty incredible for what we did. I thought I'd send a couple photos of the sets and the production to the current rector at that church at All Souls Langham Place. Because not only was their building an inspiration for our sets, their church has been kind of an inspiration to me. Uh, Their commitment to ministry and to evangelicalism in the midst of a pretty secular and liberal, even church culture in the UK. A couple weeks later, I received this this little hand-addressed envelope with a stamp on it that said, Royal Airmail. And I opened it up, and there was a handwritten letter uh, from the rector of All Souls Langham Place returning my note. He thanked me for telling him about our Christmas production, indicated he had shared it with the church staff, and it had been an encouragement to them. And I pinned it on my bulletin board, because I thought, this is pretty neat. Somebody actually responded and took the time to handwrite me a letter. When someone we admire or respect and look up to responds to us positively, it's memorable. Maybe you wrote a letter to your MP or somebody in government or an important position somewhere, and they actually got back to you and indicated, you know what, we we heard your concerns, thank you. And, And they actually showed evidence that they cared. Or maybe it was a famous artist or musician or athlete that took the time to watch you do your thing 
and they encouraged you in it and they gave you some, some helpful advice. Maybe it was just you were a scared little first-year college student once upon a time and a professor or somebody you looked up to around the school invited you to go to a meal with, at their house after church. When someone that we think is important and that we admire takes time for us, it makes an impact. How much more that the God of the universe, the Lord himself, should not only take time to listen to our prayers or respond to our prayers, but actually do the thing that we're asking him to do. That's amazing. That is awesome. That is awesome. It should blow our minds. Except a lot of the time, I'm afraid we're a little more like that. We just maybe treat prayer like it's a chore or a formality or at best a good habit to get into. You know, like eating your fiber, exercising once in a while. Or we treat it like it's a last resort. You know, well, I've tried everything else. Maybe I'll consider prayer now that I don't seem to be able to accomplish this on my own. Or safety net that's there if we need it. But I said I wasn't going to lecture us. I'm just convinced that if we really want to make progress in our lives of prayer... We need to become more convinced of how awesome it is that the Lord hears our prayers and answers our prayers and even acts on our behalf when we call on his name. This is just such a basic foundational thing of the Christian faith, but sometimes it's the things that are basic and are foundational that should continue to impress us because they are significant and profound. But there's something even bigger even bigger at play than just God hearing our prayers. Verse 18 is a bit difficult to translate, but whichever way you go with it, the meaning is profound. The ESV has, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Different translations say something different sometimes. Some just have, if I had uh, regarded iniquity in my heart or if I had seen it. The Hebrew, that's what it literally says. It just says, if I had looked at or seen or regarded iniquity in my heart. If I had noticed that it was there. So the difference in translation is a difference between noticing that there's iniquity there and actually kind of nurturing and encouraging that iniquity along, cherishing it somewhat. But in any case, the sin is there. That's the point. If there is sin there in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And that's a pretty sobering sequence of logic. Sin in the heart hinders our prayers to the point where the psalmist can say, if there's sin there, the Lord's not going to hear us. That's serious. That's a problem. But in the next verse, he says that the Lord didn't reject his prayer and the Lord did hear him. So that only leaves two options. Either he looked into his heart and there was not, nor had there ever been, any sin there. Seems pretty unlikely. Or he looked into his heart and knew that there was sin in his heart, but recognized there was some way for that sin to be cleansed and removed and wiped away. This psalm has, has already made some allusions to the bigger picture of Scripture, so let's just let's take another step back. If you read all throughout the book of Leviticus... You hear a lot about atonement for sins. And who makes atonement for sins in the book of Leviticus? Every time, it's the priest. The priest will make atonement for your sins by doing these sacrifices. Right? 
priest shall cut such and such animal's throat in such and such way and will offer its blood in such and such way on the altar and burn such and such of its various body parts as an offering and thus make atonement. Over and over and over again, over and over, this is how you make atonement. This is how it's done. The sacrifices, do them and you will live. We even get a little bit of this in this passage in verses 13 to 15. He talks about bringing sacrifices before the Lord. Except there it kind of seems those are not so much atonement sacrifices or they're thanksgiving sacrifices. You see, when we do read about atonement in the book of Psalms, we get a different picture. Just flip back the page. Maybe depending on where Psalm 66 is in your Bible, it might just be on the opposite page. Psalm 65, verse 3. When our iniquities prevail against us, you, the Lord, atone for our sins. Psalm 78, verse 39, speaking about Israel's history, which we've been talking about. Yet he, the Lord, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Psalm 79, verse 9, Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. When we get to the Psalms, there's a shift. It's not so much about the priest making atonements via the sacrifices. The psalmist is calling on the Lord and recognizing that it's him that has to make the atonement for their sins. God cleanses our hearts of sin. That is awesome. Now, obviously, moving to the New Testament is, is beyond the scope of this psalm, but not beyond its trajectory, I hope. We know how God accomplished that atonement for sin. I hope you're not tired of me taking us through these psalms and eventually ending up with Jesus, because I'm not tired of getting to Jesus. I hope that's okay. We heard at the end of this psalm about what happens when we look inside our hearts and we recognize that there's, there's sin there. And that's a concern. The Apostle John also discusses the reality that we may find iniquity in our hearts. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. How do we know what that love looks like? Back up to verse 16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. If we want to talk about the awesome deeds of of the Lord. There it is. God lived among us in the person of the man Jesus Christ and paid for our sins at the cost of his own perfect life so that the iniquity in the depths of our heart could actually be dealt with. So that when we look in our hearts and we see that there is iniquity there and sin and darkness, there's actually a way to get rid of that, to get it clean so that we can have communion and fellowship with God, so that he will hear and answer our prayers, so that our sin is not blocking our relationship to him. 
Friends, getting, getting to Jesus isn't just the preacher sleight of hand thing, like it's a little trick they teach you in seminary. If you don't know what to do, just say Jesus at the end and it's all good. This isn't a trick. This is what the apostles were always doing. This is what they were utterly committed to doing. When they looked at their scriptures in the Old Testament, they saw them pointing to Jesus, just like the scripture reading we heard earlier from 1 Peter, that the prophets were straining forward to see what it was that God was going to do. Everywhere they looked, they saw pointers. And just as they saw him, in hindsight, as central to their scriptures, so we need to see Jesus as central to our lives. Because he is. There are lots of things that can catch our attention and make us excited. And that's good, and that's healthy. Michelle and I are really excited this week. We booked a small holiday later on at the end of September to get back to Waterton Lakes, which is kind of our happy place for a weekend. That, that is, if the fires do not burn it to the ground again. But it's good to take a bit of time away and, and enjoy things that refresh you and recharge you. It's good to have a favorite place where you can go to do that. We might be excited about any number of things. Some of you are brand new here. You're probably excited, maybe a little bit scared for what's going on in this semester that's ahead of you. Some of you are just returning from being away for the summer and you're excited to see the people you haven't seen for a long time. You're excited for your team. You're excited for your friends. Some of you are excited you have a new home, either because you just moved to campus or maybe because you participated in the annual Karenport Musical Chairs house swap shuffle thing that happens here every year. But it's exciting. You have a new job maybe or just a new season of life or maybe a new outfit or a new pet or you tried a new recipe. There's all kinds of things, big and small, that we can be really excited about just in the moment. But whatever you might be really excited about as you come in here today, I hope you can leave this place being excited about what the Lord has done. Those other things are great, but they're not awesome because they're not central, or at least they shouldn't be. If our lives are to be properly ordered, the only thing that can have central place is God's work for us in Christ. That's what's truly awesome. That's the foundation of our call to be his people. That's the foundation of having clean hearts so that we can talk to him in prayer. What's awesome? Let's not use that word quite so casually about everything that pops into our mind. Let's look to the Lord to determine what is truly awesome and what he has done. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of what is truly awesome. And it's not so many of the things that we get excited about, Lord. Some of them are fine things. They are blessings from you for which we should be thankful And we should express that thanks to you and to one another. It's proper and fitting to do so. But as far as what is awesome, Lord, may we reserve that kind of praise for what you have done. You have made a people for yourself. We read about that story as it unfolds in Scripture. Your calling, your covenant, your commitment to that covenant, and bringing us into that to be your people. How incredible that is, Lord. You hear our prayers, the Lord of the universe, and yet you hear us when we call to you. That is awesome. May we not take that for granted, Lord.
and you cleanse our hearts from sin. That is truly awesome, Lord. May we not take that for granted. May we rejoice in it. May we praise you rightly as we should for that. May that be what we think of as truly awesome because it truly is. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.